You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And, you know, the NBA season is already... It feels so weird, Sarah. Like, I'm Wild. trying to say it with a straight face, but, like, the NBA season is right around the corner. I mean, I know we just finished one, but we we start the next one in, like, you know, a week and a half. So uh, we knew that there were going to be signings, and we knew that things were going to get done, and today we got one of those in a big, big way. By the way, ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance, small business protection for more than vehicles with insurance expertise to keep your company moving forward. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Paul George is now a very, very, very wealthy man. As uh, we all knew that at some point they, the Clippers were going to have to figure out what to do and how they were going to continue with their contracts. Well, they took care of one piece today, adding Paul George at the tune of an extension that adds four years and $190 million to his contract. So uh, that's an additional four years. That's an additional 190 on top of the 35.4 guaranteed form for the 2021 season. He had a player option for the 21-22 season that will be replaced with this extension. So he's locked in, and he is now going to be part of the Clippers for the next four years at this point. That's one thing the Clippers can sort of check off their offseason list. Yeah, I'm torn on this. Uh, I'm going to play some sound from Jackie Mack that talked me a little bit off the ledge, but fits to me. You've got a guy in in Paul George who who is obviously a great two-way player, who obviously has a tremendous skill set, but has not proven himself to be clutch, has had some injury issues. Um, mentally, I don't know if he's a true leader and winner. He's certainly not a number one in the NBA right now, even though he is now the most highly paid player in the NBA. He had 10 points in that brutal elimination game at the end of their bubble season. He's the third, he's the player with the third most playoff games, shooting 25% from the field or worse. He's a guy who comes and goes and is not consistently great, in my opinion. And sometimes we take for granted the guys that are consistently great. We sort of don't marvel enough at the people like LeBron who show up year in and year out and who, with the exception of a couple cases that we've certainly harped on for long enough, uh, occasionally LeBron had his off moments, but consistently great. Paul George is that guy, and he's a great player, but... He's not a guy who should be paid the most in the NBA, and he's certainly not a guy to me that you lock up unnecessarily in advance unless for sure they know that it's keeping Kyrie around. And I don't have any belief necessarily that Kyrie, not Kyrie, Kawhi, that Kawhi is watching Paul George, his contract and his abilities, and is saying, this is the decision for me. In fact, it might be if Paul George has another iffy, okay year, or if they have another early exit, he says, this ain't it, I'm going to leave. I know that you've locked up Paul George, and if this isn't going to be the combo that works, I'm out of here. That's a risk. Well, and what have they done at this point? They've spent the most money on any player right now. As you mentioned, Paul George becomes the richest player in the NBA. And if everything plays to chalk the way expected right now, uh, best-case scenario, they're the second-best team in the conference. So uh, I realize that you know you got to spend money at times to make money, and I, I get that you never know what's going to happen in the NBA season, but it just it, it feels strange to think that Paul George was the guy that you needed to go in and lock up right away, and, and you're absolutely right. Like I would have thought Kawhi would have been the thing that we saw get done contractually first. Now, Jackie Mackey mentioned she was a ESPN NBA senior writer. She was on the jump earlier, and she talked about why this deal was important for the Clippers. Paul George has now said, all right, I'm here for the long haul, and I'm sure he's hoping and the Clippers are hoping that Kawhi follows, follows suit. You had to get this done, and I know there's a lot of unhappy Clipper fans 
that are looking at Paul George's playoff results and saying, are you kidding me? Why are you paying this guy all this money? But I think Steve Ball and the Clippers are smart to take the longer view of Paul George's career. So to, to the point that she mentioned, if they were going to be in on Paul George, then they're going full in because they gave up Shea Gilgis Alexander, Danilo Gallinari, Clipper first round picks in 2022, 2024, and 2026, Heat first rounders in 2021 and 2023, and then pick swaps in 2023 and 2025. They gave up a ton to get Paul George. And even though he didn't provide and this team didn't provide the payoff that they were looking for, they're going to be patient and see if down the road he might. It's a risk. It's a risk, especially because you don't know exactly where Kawhi's head's at. And because Paul George has not proven himself to be clutch in postseason. But maybe once you've put that much in, you're better off going fully in than to be half in, half out, and then never really give it a shot to succeed. The only problem with going fully in with any player right now, to be honest, in the NBA, is that you have to go fully in on the player, but the player doesn't have to go fully in on you. I mean, there is a level of the, the contract they've just written will be the contract that they are stuck with. So if everything goes wrong, it's not like it's easy to get out of if Paul George decides he doesn't want to be there. And that's mm-hmm. some, a little bit of what we're dealing with right now You know, when you look on the other side for James Harden. like Harden's in the news constantly because, uh, frankly, he doesn't want to be there. And we all know he doesn't want to be with Houston, but it feels like every couple of days the list of teams that he's willing to be traded to grows by one. It's like the Grinch is hard. It just continually <laughs> uh, grows two sizes. Yeah, it grows by day. teams that have uh, playoff potential and are contenders. <laughs> but that's part of the risk teams take, and I think people need to remember at some level that when you sign a player to a contract in the NBA, it's not like the NFL where you could just turn around and say, okay, uh, you know, James Harden doesn't want to be here. Paul George eventually may not want to be here. You can't just trade that person off. You have to trade equal assets. So if this Paul George thing doesn't work, I mean, it's crippling financially for mm-hmm. the Lakers for a long time. And that's a little bit of what the Rockets are dealing with right now as Harden continues to insist he wants to move and the team is sort of sitting back there playing a little chicken and I can't fault them for it, Sarah. Yeah, to your point, and it's something that I heard uh, uh, Zach Lowe talking about, these max contracts become albatrosses almost immediately unless a guy is the greatest, and that could happen with this deal for Paul George. Brian Windhorst, ESPN NBA Insider, was on the Hoop Collective podcast and spoke to exactly what you talked about. If the Rockets lose Harden and somehow they can't make the most out of a trade, they risk being irrelevant. This is a gigantic freaking moment for your franchise. Gigantic. And I hate to put it like this the rocket fans but like you know houston has been a hub of the nba since they got harden and because of mcgrady and because of yao they've generally been a hub for a long time ask the phoenix suns how fleeting this can be okay ask the uh minnesota timberwolves they lost garnett how's life been since then you know they haven't had garnett since 2008 they've missed the playoffs 15 of 16 years when, when are they getting another Garnett? And that's why this is really serious business. So, Fitz, it works two ways. One is exactly what he said. You can't lose him because that could happen. And if you have to lose him, if there is no way that he's going to play for you and stick around and report, then you have to get the most out of a trade so you can't rush your way into something that is not re- remotely close to an even trade. And that's why a lot of the deals that he wants, if you're going to go to the Nets, then you got to give him back Kyrie, right? You're not going to get the supporting cast and make three superstars on one team if you're the Rockets. Just it won't work that way. Yeah, I mean you got to equal the money and you got to equal the clout if you're Houston. So 
Like that that's such a difficult proposition. And look, that pressure is part of why I keep saying that the Bucks have to do whatever they can to sign Giannis. The only thing worse in the NBA than being bad is being irrelevant. And mm-hmm. once you're irrelevant, I don't know what spins you out of it. I mean, having a first pick in the NBA draft isn't like having a first pick in the NFL draft where you feel like it suddenly means you're going to reset. That's why I think with this Harden issue, it's going to take time, Sarah. It feels really complicated to me. Yeah, it really does. And he's not helping at all with the way that he's pouting and acting unprofessional, regardless of how you feel about player empowerment. This is sort of the worst result of all the work that's been done over the years to help give the players more control. Well, while we're breaking down the NBA, there's also breaking news in the NHL and how they're handling preparation for the next uh, season. We'll talk to our friend about it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Apple iTunes, the ESPN app, wherever you get your podcasts. Yesterday's Game Changers with Kendall Coyne Schofeld, the newest employee of the Blackhawks. We got a special mini pod where Fitz and I talk about the Lebetard Show guys parting ways with ESPN. And some, uh, some digital-only stuff you can only get on the podcast, so make sure to subscribe. It's a Thursday, and usually on Wednesdays we do a little half ran, but we didn't have time yesterday, so we're doing it today. And we're combining it with Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless, and one of the only people I think that could possibly be a friend and also give the Straight Talk is Emily Kaplan, ESPN NHL reporter on the Shell Penzel Performance Line. Before we get to Emily, it's time for half ran. Hi, friend. Hi, friend. Hi, friends. Say hello to my little friend. He's my friend because we both know what it's like to have people be jealous of us. Alone. Bad. Friend. Good. And we're the best friends that anyone could have. We're the best friends that anyone can have. And we'll never, ever, 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 ever leave each other. You got this. That's right. It's Emily Kaplan. Hi, friend. Hi, friend. Nailed How'd it. I do? Wow, professional right off the top. Well done. Yeah, well, I'm going to give you at least a best. 7 out of 10. Your producers made me practice, Sarah. Your producers <laughs> oh, made me practice. We heard it. We were told you needed to go up a couple octaves, so I'm guessing your first effort was terrible. Yeah, it was bad, and I slightly improved, and then I said, you know what? We just got to make a game time decision. We're going to make it work. We're going to make it work. Yeah. Uh, if it makes you feel exactly. any better, Emily, I'm on the show, and my I, I'm I'm always Not terrible either. at this. So, Not you know, great either. Yeah. yeah. Not great. It's a little peaked. Well, thanks, Fitz. I do feel better. Uh, mine's always fantastic. Hi, Fran. Um, Emily, let's start with the most important hockey news, and that is, of course, the news that there will be a continuing story of the Mighty Ducks on Disney+, Plus, starring <laughs> Lauren Graham and Emilio Estevez, picking up right where the film's left off. The Mighty Ducks game changers. Uh, can I get your thoughts on this? Yeah, thank you for covering this important story. It's yeah. awesome. I have no problem shilling for our company when they're doing cool stuff like this. Um, I've heard they're starting to do some cool promo stuff, having some current NHL players involved, some women's hockey players involved. So I'm pretty pumped for it. Love it. That, that, that's it. That's all we needed you for, Emily. Have a great yeah. day. Uh, okay, so. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Thanks, guys. Bye, friends. <laughs> Bye, friends. Uh, so let's talk about some of the other news. Uh, it looks like. Uh, everything's coming together. They're still looking at a January 13th start for the NHL season. So how confident are you that they're going to be able to get things going in early January? Man, with the NHL, it's just always like, I'll see it when I believe it. Um, I'm, I'm 
cautiously optimistic, and I think that's what everyone is saying around the league right now. Um, the biggest obstacle was that the owners and the players were really far apart on financials. The owners wanted the players to give some more concessions that they were going to start the season off the ground with no or limited fans. The players balked at that. It actually was a really big win for the players because they decided not to change any of the financial agreements and go forward as it is. And now we're just hammering out details like, what do expanded rosters look like? And do we have enough time to squeeze in exhibition games? And the hope is by the end of this week, or maybe it's built a little bit into next week, uh, the NHLPA is executive board and the board of governors will both vote on a plan and we will have players reporting to training camp very, very soon. Emily, one of the things that was so fascinating after the bubble experiment the first time around was to hear some of the players anonymously talk to you and our Greg Wyshynski about the experience. They didn't love it. Uh, they felt like they were maybe sold a little bit of a bill of goods on the experiences, the ability to do things outside of hockey, the food, et cetera. Um, how much does that frustration play into their belief that whatever they've been promised for how the upcoming season will look will play out the way uh, those promises were given to them? You know, Sarah, when I talked to a lot of guys for that story, one of the reasons they wanted to talk is they said, we want to get what happened out there because if we have to do a bubble situation again, we sure as hell don't want the same mistakes to be made again. So that's why they participated in that story. And sure enough, as they are planning for next season, um, the league has admitted they would never ask the players or really the staff either to make the sacrifices like they did in the bubbles, um, saying goodbye to your family for that period of time, um, you know, being deprived of some basic mental health benefits like, you know, going outside every day and things like that. Um, so what we're talking about now is most likely the plan A is for players to be able to play in their home arenas, which, of course, would allow them to go home and sleep at their family's house that night and see their loved ones. And then teams would come in for, like, a baseball-style series, so, like, play two or three games and then leave town. And that obviously limits travel. Um, there could be some hybrid bubble situations and maybe even a bubble situation, depending on some contingencies or how the season plays out. But nothing will be as extreme as we saw this summer in Toronto and Edmonton because the players pretty much told the league, no, we're not doing that again. We're talking to ESPN NHL reporter Emily Kaplan. So, Emily, I always worry about the financial side of it for every league, but the NHL, it doesn't, at least in perception, isn't rolling in cash the way some other leagues are. So if they're forced to play a season without any fans in the stands and lose that revenue, how are teams prepared to deal with that? It's going to be tough for a lot of teams, and some owners behind the scenes have been complaining to Gary Bettman, saying, like, I don't want to stomach these losses. Like, why don't we just sit out the entire season? Um, but they're going to push through anyway. And because the players didn't get an extra cut of money from the players like they wanted, and I kind of outlined that situation earlier, the league is going to try to help them out with the best way I can describe it is a stimulus plan. Um, it's what we saw in the NBA with the teams giving each, uh, with the league giving each team $30 million um, just to front some costs, maybe hire back some furloughed or fired employees, which would be great to see because the hockey world certainly has been affected by this. So the NHL is working through that plan now. And there's some other things that owners can look forward to because the NHL is looking at 2021 and 2022 as this critical season. It's when they welcome the new U.S. TV deal, and, and they're hoping that it's a bit more lucrative than the last. So the NHL can be more of a TV league like the NHL, NFL is and definitely to a lesser extent, but still more than the NHL, the NBA is. And they also have Seattle coming in, and Seattle has a $650 million expansion fee. And that's split between all the existing teams minus Vegas. Uh, Vegas doesn't get a piece of that pie, but they also don't have to expose a player to the expansion draft. 
It's Spain and Fitz, a little half friend with Emily Kaplan, our ESPN NHL mm-hmm. reporter. Uh, John Shannon, an NHL reporter, was the first I saw to report a source saying that the NHL is planning the private purchase of a COVID vaccine for all constituents involved in the potential upcoming season. Do you have any more info on that? And what do you think the response would be, knowing that, you know, those private uh, pharmaceuticals have every right to do that, uh, but the optics might be tough to sell? Yeah, you know, it, it reminds me a lot of when they were planning return to play this summer and the NHL was saying, we're not going to step in line of anybody to get COVID tests when there was a shortage. Um, and they really were conscious of that. And I do think that they did a good job of making sure the public need was a hell ahead of their private need. And I'm told when it comes to a vaccine, that will also be the case. Um, you know, John Shannon reported this and it, it sounds like early stages. It's just the NHL having these conversations. Um, One thing I do know, though, is I asked around a lot about this to the league as well as the Players Association and saying, would you mandate a vaccine to the players to get them back on the ice? And it's something that would have to be collectively bargained between the PA and the league. And uh, the PA would push back on it just because of the precedent it sends of of some players might disagree and saying, I don't want the league to force what goes into my body. So I'm guessing this will be a situation like we see every year with the flu. Um, You know, it's kind of happened when there was a mumps outbreak in the NHL where the NHL will procure these tests when it's able for them. And they'll tell players, hey, there's a doctor in the locker room who can administer it today if you want it, uh, but you don't have to take it. So. Um, to sum this all up, I do think the NHL will look into purchasing this. I don't think um, it's going to step hugely in front of public need. Um, I think they'll do it at a time when the vaccine is widely available. But it's, it's definitely something they and other sports leagues, I do believe, are considering. Have they given you any indication of what will cause, like where their threshold is that will cause games or possible season to be postponed or canceled? Not yet, but we do know that the NHL is not being dumb about it, and they're assuming that there will be postponements and there will be cancellations, um, you know, if they do start this season on January 13th. So what they are doing is they're saying their regular season is going to end about May 1st, and they're building in some cushion time before the Stanley Cup playoffs have to begin in case they have to make up some games. And quickly, the whole Canada thing remains difficult to navigate. Will there be an expectation of – if changes happen in Canada, they'll adjust and react to the amount of time you can spend going back and forth, how long you need to be there, et cetera. How are they planning to handle that if, if anything changes? Yeah, it's a little different in the NHL than NBA. Basically, because there are seven Canadian teams, they're just going to do a divisional realignment and have the seven Canadian teams play each other again and again, and that's their regular season. And there'll be three other divisions here in the U.S. And then when we get to the playoffs, we'll see what the landscape looks like. Hmm. It's probably smart. I mean, we like to have things planned out in advance, but at this point, we'll see what the landscape looks like. It's probably not, you know, digging yourself a hole that you have to Big Ten your way out of. Uh, So that's pretty smart. Uh, Emily, thanks for hanging out with us. Bye, Fran. Bye, Fran. Bye, Fran. Nailed it. She did it really well. ESPN NHL reporter Emily Kaplan giving you the straight talk. Brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, we'll do our best to put you in the holiday spirit, even if we have to do it virtually. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Yeah, so Christmas means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Fitz and I are both Christmas fanatics, and it's been rough this year to try to figure out which traditions can be carried on and which ones cannot. I had every intention, Fitz, of continuing my tree hunt, taking a horse-drawn wagon out to a field and murdering a live, fresh tree with a saw (laughs) and bringing it home with all my friends just outside. And I was stripped of the opportunity to murder my own tree this year. I went to a parking lot in the Vienna Beef 
factory parking lot. I found a tree that had already been murdered. I brought it home, and it wasn't the same. Still a live tree. It still smells wonderful. It looks nice, but it just wasn't the same. And and thankfully, I have some more opportunities to take some traditions and and make them work in pandemic times. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, Don't forget Shell uh, Pennzoil synthetic motor oils are made from natural gas, giving you unbeatable engine protection. The proof is in the Pennzoil based on sequence 4A wear test using SAE 5W30. Now, on that day when we would usually go up to Michigan, big group of us have all these activities, including the tree murdering. Instead, we uh, went to this place in Chicago that has a little outdoor market and had some drinks outside. And then friends, uh, like six friends, came over in our backyard at a social distance and sat outside in about 30 degrees for a couple hours with a fire pit. Uh, we smelled like smoke and so did our house because uh, we left one of the doors <laughs> to, the, to the breezeway open uh, for a day or so. And my eyes hurt. And we certainly aren't replacing our previous tra- uh, tradition with that, but we at least made the effort to like make something happen. So we're curious, uh, Fitz, I want you to chime in. Are there any traditions? We'll put it up at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. Are there any holiday traditions that you are successfully finding a way to adjust to pandemic times? I would love to hear about them. Uh, well, I mean, not yet. I'll be honest. You know, I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out. But one thing that really hit me, Sarah, uh, I was talking to a buddy the other day, and he said, what if I told you for one year all the pressure was off. You didn't have to do anything you'd ever done, and you could try anything for Christmas. And if it didn't work out, next year you could go back to everything that you ever always used to do, and nobody would judge you for it. And it was a little bit of a freeing moment because sometimes holidays can become so regimented for everybody that it's like, okay, on this day we always do this, and we always do that that way. And, and so many of those things, especially for somebody that is as – Uh, sort of uh, organized in that sense of life like I am, I become very pattern-centric. So, uh, you know, it's been kind of freeing to break away from that pattern, but it's also been strange. Like, I'm the first to admit, like, it's been difficult. Like, it's been weird to feel the usual holiday spirit. You know what I mean? So I think it's it's these are interesting times, to say the least. But uh, we'll figure it out, especially getting closer to Christmas, trying to figure out how to – you know, best maximize like we always have done like these big caroling parties. And obviously we're not doing that uh, this year. But a bunch of my friends have talked about doing a Zoom carol, which yeah. I haven't done. So, you know, you could I think do legit caroling like door to door. Your neighbors are super in the spirit of Christmas, right? Yeah, we just usually have like 25 drunk people as we go caroling from right. spot to spot. And then everybody does like a dirty Santa afterwards and we're all canned. So I feel like that's, you know, in the spirit of trying to uh, trying to keep social distancing and everything. A little uh, tough. Uh, you know, yeah, try, trying to be respons- uh, be very responsible through all of it. Well, one of the traditions that I have with my friends that we're going to keep up this year virtually is my friend Steve has something called 12 Courses of Christmas. And our friend Aram, who's a chef, makes small little courses and we have a big dinner party at Steve's house and we always do a white elephant gift exchange and Steve has his own winery uh Smith Devereaux wines for anyone who wants to check him out and we drink a lot of his wine we eat the amazing food from Aram and we just for whatever reason that combination of people and all the holiday spirit it's always just laughing nonstop so much fun so we're trying to do it virtually on Saturday Steve is delivering or we're picking up all of the food And we're going to heat it up at the same time, like each course, like everybody go microwave course two and come back. And he sent out a playlist for us all to start at the same time. I believe this year the attire is pajama casual instead of our usual holiday festive. And we're trying to do virtual white elephant. It is an actual thing on a website. And you join like a game that the the person starts. And then you wrap, quote unquote, 
upload your gift. It's either like a link to it or it's a photo if it's an actual one you have in hand. And I don't know how it works after that. I'm going to find out on Saturday. Uh, But it's very stressful because part of the fun of White Elephant Fits is like the box it's in is fake or the absurdity of it. And virtually, something that's kind of just like a is not good, right? It needs it needs to you need to step up the game if the person can't unwrap it and everybody just laughs at it. And so I'm I'm feeling stressed about this. Well, and I mean you're right. The reaction is everything. So I like can you see everybody's reaction? Like because I'm I'm in love with this idea. Like you are you are absolutely blowing my mind with it. Making like, the best of it. <laughs> you know when we do the uh, when we do the whole dirty Santa thing every year. Uh, there are a couple of presents that always come back like nobody ever wants them. So whoever gets it just holds it for a year <laughs> and then does something to it and brings it back. So like inevitably it's in a different box or there's like somehow hidden and then you get stuck with the coffee mugs that, you know, nobody right. wanted in the first place years and years ago. And it's not uncommon for somebody to try and sneak out of the house and just accidentally leave their present behind. So we will have none of that. So I'm all in on this. I got to find out like you, you've got to give me a review on it because it's great that, like this is where we are now. And, and while it might be weird it's better than nothing right like yeah. in, in the spirit of the season my family it's spain and fits by the way sarah spain jason fits on espn radio the espn app sirius xm channel 80 my family there was this beautiful um well, actually it wasn't beautiful it was just kind of old this box that was probably from like carson Peary scott i don't even know if that's a national chain of stores but like an old school department store and it got given back and forth, maybe three times. And by the third time, someone said, hey, I think I gave you a gift in this box a couple years. It was just used to carry a real gift that went inside and became the box. And so then it was like this thing of who got the box that year. And if you got given to you, to remember next year, I have to put something in this box and give it away. And then my uncle, who's a woodworker, actually carved a full box out of wood to put that box in. So then if you got the box, you were like, so then it, then it was about how do we make it so you can't tell if you got the box until you're already opening another box and then the box is in that one, oh, uh, which amazing. we cannot do because we don't have a whole room full of people. I think that's going to be the saddest part of this Christmas is like, even if you don't have a big family, it's everyone in their PJs watching everybody else rip open their presents, especially the kiddos, uh, which will probably be in my backyard again, just layered up like the kid from A Christmas Story, <laughs> like my niece and nephew, like, it's cold, Ed, Sarah. No, you can't go inside. Um, but we would love to hear from you guys. At Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz, the best or most clever white elephant. Or if you don't know what white elephant is, I'm going to let Michael Scott tell you. We are going to turn Secret Santa into Yankee Swap. What is Yankee Swap? One person chooses a gift. The next person can either choose a gift or steal that person's gift. If your gift gets stolen, then you can steal someone else's gift or choose a new gift. Yeah, it's just that simple, right? You followed that, right? (laughs) <laughs> you know, and and so I grew up calling it Dirty Santa, and everybody has a different name for it. But our neighbor uh, Stephanie uh, was unaware that Dirty Santa, w- the rules of it, she sort of understood the rules, but it was called Dirty Santa. So she thought maybe that meant like an adult sort of Santa party. Oh no! And she came to the the we all caroled, and everybody got tanked, and then she sat down. And she looked at Sonny, my wife, and she's like, oh, my God, uh, I don't know what to do. And Sonny's like, well, what's the problem? She's like, I thought this was a like a dirty Santa party, and there were kids there. So <laughs> suddenly she – and she didn't remember which package she had brought oh, no. over through all Phrasing. of it because she was very tanked. So she was worried that a, a small child would open a yeah. present that they should I was proud of my last year's white elephant gift because it was one that I thought would bring joy throughout the entire year. It was a calendar called uh, Nature's 
um, Nick picks. If if you get where I'm going with that, mm-hmm. uh, beautiful natural scenes of rock formations and otherwise that look just like big Nick's. And uh, it was it was a crowd pleaser. Uh, so I'm hoping I can top that this year, but the search is still on for the perfect white elephant. Maybe you guys can help me. Let us know in the comments. Coming up, we're going to get you set for tonight's Patriots-Rams game. Yeah, it's Thursday, and we have football again, just like every other week or day this week. It's coming up next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Fitz Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, this is Jason how you start Fitz. a quickie segment. I mean, the well, funny pony. thing is... I'll, I'll say this without context. Uh, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, this song, that song, always makes me think of Elika Sadegi, uh, the first, yeah, the first show that I did on college football with Elika and Michael Oluk Jr. And she loved that song. So every time I hear it, like that, that was always her go-to jam all the time. So it's uh, it's been replaced in my head. So uh, shout out to Elika for uh, being all around awesome. So well, now uh, it should be the Quickies theme song, in my opinion. Uh, you know what? I think I think that's a perfect idea. And in that spirit, we got a lot to get to, so let's do some quickies. We're not heavy-handed at all. <laughs> <laughs> We're really going to spell it out for you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll start with a little bit of college basketball news. We've been uh, talking about this a lot. Duke announced Thursday it's not playing any more non-conference games this season out of, quote, this is your drinking game for this season, out of an abundance of caution due to the COVID-19 pandemic. There you go. And to allow the Blue, De- the Blue Devil student-athletes time over the holidays to spend with their families, they're not going to play any more non-conference games. Now, remember that this is on the heels of Coach K having some uh, big thoughts that he wasn't uh, shy about sharing about whether or not college basketball should even be playing. This is what he had to say. We've had uh, games postponed or canceled, and we took the initiative to uh, – uh, say we're not going to play any more non-conference games. And the other thing we said is, you know, we're going to let our kids go home for Christmas. Now, that might not be Christmas Day, but they're going to be home for four or five days. They need a break, mental health-wise. So that's what we're doing. I, whatever anyone else does, we'll, you know, th- that'll be good. But uh, I would like to see there have more dialogue uh, uh, about it and not just say we're going to plow through. First of all, I think he's right in prioritizing their mental health, in understanding the strains on players of being away from family during the holidays and being expected to stay on campus when everybody else leaves. And I think that people who are pointing to their losses um, as the reason for this decision-making, I think it's disrespectful to Coach Kane. You know me, Fitz. I am the first to be extremely cynical about college sports. But I don't believe that a couple losses early in a season that's going to be wildly inconsistent and completely asterisk-filled is enough for Coach K to try to pull the plug on this. I think he genuinely believes this is right, and I agree with him. I don't think it's feasible to have a regular season in college basketball this year. I think it's going to be all about the tournament to save the money, and that's probably going to be some sort of bubble situation. So it's really frustrating for me. I think he has earned at least the respect to, to be treated better than what I heard from the Bama men's basketball coach, Nate Oates, uh, who, who said this in a presser about the original comments from Coach K about how he wasn't sure if they were doing the right thing, just plowing through. Can I ask you something? I just want to know your opinion. Do you think if Coach K hadn't lost the two non-conference games at home, if he'd still be saying that? Probably not. Okay. That's, I just wanted you to say it, not me. So, I, uh, look, here's, here's my deal on it. I think we'd have a whole lot more problems if we weren't playing games. 
We 100% should be playing basketball. Nobody talks about the mental. I, I Humans aren't made to sit alone in isolation for weeks and weeks on end. We, we got to. We got to be careful with how we do life, but you still got to do life. Part of life, a huge part of life for all these guys I'm coaching is being in the gym playing basketball. So I think their mental health is in a much better spot playing basketball. I think the school, the SEC, the NCAA has done a really good job making sure that we're not putting any of them in danger. Okay. So we got the start of 11 different sentences. None of them were finished. I don't know if he was worried about saying the right or wrong thing, but it doesn't feel like he really cares about that. What we got was a lot of, here's the thing, and, you know, I can do, and, and here's what I want to, and if COVID's so bad, yeah, it is so bad. It's terrible. It is costing us hundreds of thousands of lives, and the optics of you not wearing a mask would be terrible, even if the NCAA is telling you that enough time hasn't passed for you to get it again. I have a friend who's gotten COVID twice, so let's not play fast and loose with whether we think that we could get it or give it again. Let's just follow the rules, and let's not be disrespectful to those who seem to be prioritizing the health and safety of players at the expense of their own program and career uh th- that guy went on for a lot longer than that and i you and i did not want to give him any more run than he deserves but i did want to play it because i think it's really frustrating uh that every sentence he started probably didn't have a finish that was supported by logic it was more just about i want to keep playing yeah especially for somebody that's supposed to be the leader of young men and an mm-hmm. educator at some level that's scary Uh, And I'll say this, look, I mean, my least favorite team in all of sports for any sport for every single reason is Duke. I I absolutely could not have any more hate in my heart for any college program more than Duke basketball because they ripped my heart out when I was a little kid and I was a UNLV fan, right? Through all of that and through that disdain for a program, I can still respect the hell out of Coach K. And I can respect the heck out of a man that comes out and questions whether or not we can be playing or should be playing for real reasons that have nothing to do with how his basketball team is. Alabama should take a quick look at the polls because while it may not be going well for Duke, they're still a top 20 team. Alabama's not ranked. So to imply that suddenly Coach K wants to pull the plug on all of college basketball because it doesn't fit the narrative of Duke being good when they're still higher ranked than Alabama right now is at the very least disingenuous through the process. Coach K deserves more respect. Duke deserves more respect. And as a human being to another, for for Coach Oates to say that out of Alabama is an embarrassment to Alabama. It's an embarrassment to that basketball program, and it's an embarrassment to the coach. So we will move on from that in our quickies because he doesn't deserve any more time or credit for that. But there is more news going on that's uh, COVID-related and it comes from Larry Fitzgerald. And, you know, it's interesting whenever players are talking about their experience there. This is what Larry Fitzgerald said in his press conference about his experiences with COVID. Scariest part, and I think anybody that's had it, is nobody really can give you any answers. I mean, you learn new information every single day. You know, you feel symptoms and, and you, you ask and you, you know, and nobody really can tell you it's going to be better or it's going to be this is how long it usually lasts. I mean, it's... There's no real answer. So your mind kind of wonders and you're sitting at home and you're watching TV and you see, you know, the cases and you see the deaths across the nation and you, like all these things are just running through your mind. And obviously you worry. Um, and then, you know, but fortunately I was able to to get through it and um, I feel feel much better. Still can't really taste or smell anything, but that's much better than, you know, a lot of people are dealing with. So all in all, I'm very thankful to be to be back to work. If it's he... He uh, spent some time during that writing his will or re-upping his will to make it more current. 
Um, if you didn't read Bill Plaschke's story about his bout with COVID, it mirrors a lot of that, the uncertainty, and there's no answer. So unless it's something that's relating to your lungs where you can be uh, aided with oxygen, you just stay home. And for Plaschke, that meant every single day when his, he would get a massive fever or the shakes or start to feel terrible, he would ask himself, am I going to die today? And if I am, there's I can't call anyone to come over. I can't call to say goodbye. I'm just going to lie here and hope it goes away. Um, it's really scary. And even for someone who's in peak physical condition, they're going to they can suffer a lot. Well, and that's I think the the hardest part to remember sometimes is that we're watching guys on a TV and girls on a TV and, and just presuming that they're out there and everything's going to be fine. Uh, you know, with COVID for so many people, it, it's it's not a big deal until it's a big deal. Right. For a lot of people, uh, they'll look at it and say, yeah, well, everybody's fine. And, and then you get it, God forbid. And then you deal with the actual ramifications in life and. Uh, to hear some of these professional athletes speaking out so uh, so bluntly about what they're dealing with right now uh, is absolutely, to me, it's eye-opening, and it's a reminder of the human element of what these guys are doing, and it's a reminder that this hits and affects all of us. So no matter how uh, how much we respect what these guys do on the field, they're still people, and this is a very scary time for all athletes uh, that are putting themselves at risk. Coming up next on Spain and Fitz, Game Changers focusing on an inspirational story in college football. That's next on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. In the world of men's professional sports, many women are breaking through and making their mark. They're not going to be looking at him sideways. The reason why I take so much objection. He is literally running with the entire team. The NBA is actually facing backlash on both sides. Their stories are told here on Spain and Fitz. Time for this edition of Game Changers. A very fitting uh, guest for our latest Game Changers segment, Vanderbilt kicker Sarah Fuller. You've heard the story, of course, getting pulled off a championship soccer team uh, to come in and help out a Vandy team that was short kickers uh, for a variety of reasons and becoming a massive viral story. So let's start with just, Sarah, how are you handling the sudden fame? Hi, uh, thanks for having me. Um yeah, it's been pretty crazy. Uh, just trying to think it one day at a time, really. Um, it's weird going to Target and people asking for selfies and stuff, <laughs> but it's it's uh, pretty cool. So I'm, I've been excited about it. So get me to the very beginning of this for you, Sarah. Like when you got the the sort of the call that this might be in the cards for you, what was your decision-making process like on deciding if you wanted to even do it? It was funny because my assistant coach, uh, Ken, he was just like, just yes or no, yes or no. And I was like, uh, okay, yes, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> um, so I didn't really think much about it. Um, I just figured it would be a, a really cool opportunity. And you know, why not help out um, your fellow teammates, you know, or like you know, another team? Um, you know, we're all a big family and everything, uh, Vanderbilt Athletics. So I was happy to help out. Vanderbilt kicker and viral sensation Sarah Fuller with us. You were coming off a title, right? You 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 won your conference, so you're at the peak of your particular sport, and you're joining a team that's struggling. Uh, did you feel less pressure because of that and because of the sort of absurdity of the situation that, that required your call-up? Or did you say, I'm an athlete, I'm going to day one start with whatever drills I need, whatever practice I need, and take this extremely seriously? Yeah, I think what was amazing about all the coaches and, and the players is that they treated me like an athlete uh, right off the bat. So um, 
I had to go in and, and learn everything really quickly, kind of set the, you know, the championship aside and was like, all right, I'm here to learn. Um, I'm here to learn quickly, obviously. Um, but yeah, it was great. Uh, was able to learn how to properly kick the, the football and everything since it is a little different <laughs> from a soccer ball um, and, and learn all the terminology and go to all the meetings and, you know, be there uh, when we do conditioning and stuff. So um, I was happy with the transition and, and really being a part of the team. So, Sarah, your kickoff at the start of the second half was obviously a huge part of what everybody had their eyes on, but it creates huge reaction, both positive and negative. Let's be real. There are terrible people on social media. So when you got yeah. through all of that, was there a part of you that, that questioned whether or not to come back and deal with it again, or have you been all in since then? Oh, I've been all in. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I've grown up, you know, you don't just – step out you don't quit uh when you when you start something so i'm i'm all in uh i'm very excited about this week and practice has been going well and the team has high spirits so uh we're very excited about that so if fitz mentioned that kick and sarah fuller from vandy is with us a star keeper for the soccer team turned kicker for the football team how do you react when people who don't understand a squib kick and why it's being used or whether you've executed it well uh, come after you on social because I've loved some of the interactions and I wonder how it's been for you learning how to deal with this like crush of attention and negativity in, in some time in some ways. Yeah, I mean, I try not to pay attention to the negative comments if if they're saying I'm not doing it right. Well, I'm like, you're not here in my shoes. You're not here at practice. You know, you're not a D1 soccer player, a D1 football player. So I don't really want to hear it. Um, so at the the end of the day, I follow directions and I listen to my coaches and I do what I'm told to do. So I, I went out there and executed it the way I was supposed to. And at the end of the day, if anybody's going to be mad at that, they're wrong. So, <laughs> Well, and, and with that being said, Sarah, this weekend, uh, Vandy takes on Tennessee. I mean, that's a huge rivalry game for these two programs. So you step right into a, a big sort of pressure situation. Obviously, you're used to it, but how does the rivalry conversation sort of differ in the football landscape than it do- did in the soccer landscape for you? Oh, I feel like it's the exact same. You know, um, I'm so stoked. I, I can tell the energy is really high and um, in the facility right now. So um, we're just very excited. It's it's the same kind of uh, vibes and everything when you're going in and playing Tennessee. Um you just want to be strong every single practice and stay focused, and we're we're very ready. I'm I'm super excited to go into this weekend. Vanderbilt kicker and soccer standout Sarah Fuller with us here for Game Changers on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio. Tell me how you get the confidence to talk to a brand new team that you just joined at halftime and tell them they're not fired up enough, they're not supporting each other enough. Um, because there were some people who reacted negatively to that. They said, you know, what you just got there. You're in a position where you haven't struggled all season with them. Why did you feel it was right to speak up? Well, I mean, I'm a, I'm a senior. Um, I have won several championships. I um, know what it's like to be in a winning program, and I wanted to bring that energy uh, to the field. And, and I have to say, over the past few weeks, I really think um, this team has the energy is so much better, and um, I, the chemistry on the on the field has been great. So I'm really excited to see how um, this weekend goes, and um, just continue with that momentum.
You know, Sarah, I lived in Nashville for 20 years, and I covered uh, Vandy partially uh, during some of my time there. And Vanderbilt struggles sometimes to get attention. And this has been such a great moment for the school to get this attention in a real way. For your teammates now, as they look across the board and they see the level of attention, how has the reception and sort of relationship building been for you in this situation with them? I mean, it's been good. I, you know, I a lot of the upperclassmen I'm I'm friends with. Uh, I know, um, so we've already had that relationship and stuff. Uh, definitely grown very close with the special teams. Uh, they've been amazing, and um, you know, they treat me like a football player. I, I go out there and I practice, and they they expect high quality stuff out of me, just like I would of them. So um, it's been great and very welcoming, and um, that they've just been uh, super great teammates. One of the interesting things I saw from your coach was uh, sort of responding to those who said this was just a PR move and saying, we we reached out to some guys who were formerly kickers back in the day, had some tryouts, and it was a mess. And uh, I think it's it's pretty clear to me that someone who's a, a conference-winning championship athlete who's perfectly conditioned to coming out of another season and has a hell of a leg is a better choice than someone who once kicked in sixth grade. What do you say to those people? And how has your reaction been to that, that, that conversation around, you know, whether they did it just to get some eyeballs on the team, as Fitz pointed out, lots of attention. Yeah. I think my favorite thing has been like, why didn't they get a male soccer player? And I'm like, there's well, no program. Football, we don't have a male <laughs> soccer team. <laughs> Oh, we're not even going to mention down the with name details. of the very Come on. high-profile person who pointed that out, who's allegedly a journalist but couldn't figure out to Google that the program's been gone for years. But we're not going to mention who that was. Oh, that's great. Yeah, got a, got a lot of laughs out of that. And I'm like, at the end of the day, if I'm the right person for the job, if I have the skills and I'm able to be coached to do this correctly, I don't think it matters who you are. So I was at the right place at the right time. I was willing to step up and do the job. And so at the end of the day, that's that's what it was. I was ready. I was there. How comfortable are you? I mean, you mentioned a couple of times that it's different than kicking a soccer ball. How comfortable are you right now if you had to go out and kick a field goal? Oh, yeah. I'd be 100% ready. God, Even we were I so bummed that you didn't get to. <laughs> well, the whole game, I was like, get downfield, please, please. I want to see this. Uh, we're talking to Vandy kicker Sarah Fuller, uh, who's gone viral after being called up from the soccer team to help out the football team. A uh, couple really quick ones before we have to let you go. Uh, who's the coolest person that you've either heard from on social media or otherwise? Um. Oh, gosh. I'd say it was a really cool. Uh, Hope Solo was defending me on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and then... Like LeBron James was tweeting about me too. Like I never thought LeBron James would be talking about me. So uh, that was that was pretty awesome. Hillary Clinton's not bad either. If you're if you're if you're uh, oh, reaching yeah. the kind of audience that's going to be pretty hype about women doing big things. Uh, and then you were uh, you got to be a part of the Titans game uh, as as the as the uh, as the twelfth at you know Titans anchor down. Uh, tell me about that. That was so much fun. Um, it was actually very funny. So I went out there and did the whole ceremony thing and I got to sit and watch the game for 15 minutes. And then I had to go to practice. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's the life of an athlete and got to go and get, go to meetings and I uh, got to get your work in. So. Yeah. Priorities, so, I guess. <laughs> before we let her go, we got to at least, Sarah, you got to help us with something. Okay. Uh, your coach, your special teams coach, 
Devin Fitzsimmons would happen to be the brother of our Ian Fitzsimmons that's on the show after us. So if you could just give us, like, just get us some trash on Ian that we can start to use on the show, mm-hmm. you know, for our rivalry show to show, right. we would really appreciate that. So, you know, it's just if, if there's some nugget you can find out on your coach's brother, we'd be good with that. Right, okay, right, right. gotcha. I'll, I'll figure out. I'll see what I can find. <laughs> I mean, you know, prioritize working on the kicking, but when you've got free time, do a little digging for us, see what you can find on Ian. <laughs> Uh, much would be much appreciated. Hey, I really yeah. hope you get to kick this weekend. Uh, and congratulations. And I just want to commend you for being thrust into this position without any prep. And you have said and done the right thing at every turn and really made so many other women and girls so proud of how you've handled this. Um, just props to you. It's been it's been really fun to watch. I hope you're having fun with it. Uh, trust me, I know how many trash people are on the internet. Uh, I've been dealing with it for a number of years, and you're doing a, a, a really commendable job bouncing uh, bouncing off the haters. <laughs> so uh, I love it. Thank it's it's been I great. Appreciate it. Good luck this weekend. Yeah, thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. 